Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yeehaw! Oh, I got that too. <laughs> I just hit start. Hey guys, this is Walter Lee here, and welcome to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. This is our first episode, and I'm joined with my co-host, Leighton Harvey. What's going on, guys? And we're going to try and give you all some background as to what we're doing, who we are, and then we're going to jump right into it. Here at Chasing Tales, we are going to focus on the actual adventure, the journey that we all go on to get there, and the things that really make this success at the end or the failure at the end so unique. That's kind of built into our name, you know, Chasing Tales. It Tales is not T A I L S. We're not chasing tails. No, like, we're not. We're, we're not. done with. I'm married. Ch- Layton may chase some later on, but that's a different podcast that we'll work on. Um, the only tail I'm chasing is uh, turkeys, deer, white tail, white tails, redfish, redfish, trout, trout. You know, all sorts of stuff <laughs> like that. That's the only tail I'm worried about chasing right now. But uh, you know, we are chasing tails, T A L E S, and we may exaggerate, we may embellish. There may be some tall tales. There may be different. Ver- there will be different versions of. I can think of one story off the top of my mind of uh, how it went and how it went differently. Um, but that's what we're going to do here, and we're not going to emphasize big white tails. If you're looking for big white tails, you will hear about them. You'll hear about strategies, but we're also going to be celebrating the six point and the the spike and public land success private land private success land. Yep. that's my thing yeah know. that's that harvey's gonna bring that to the table can you think of anything you want to add walt said there's gonna be a mention of big deer i chase big deer walt chases bigger deer on public land if it's big enough for him to shoot he's gonna shoot it it's this way right. i go after 140 inch deer but am i gonna sit here and say that i don't want a little deer Eh, you know, it depends on the day. Depends on the situation. We're it's not all we're not picky. It's yeah. all situation, right? And and what story may come out of that hunt, you know? Yep. Um, so that's kind of who we are in a nutshell. That's our mission statement, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's no better way to start this off than to dive into Leighton and I's uh, best top of the the mind 
story that co- the first story that comes to mind. Uh, well, yours is a hunting story, right? Mine is a hunting story. So I'm going to tell the story of my first bow kill. You want me to go first? Or you want to go first? No, you can go ahead. Okay. So I started bow hunting at about 15 or 16. I had a mentor, Mr. Griffin, and he had a, I think it was a Ben Pearson. I've got it at the house. I've got a look hanging on the walls, a recurve and a leather quiver full of handmade, hand-painted arrows. And... I always looked up there and thought, man, he used to tell me stories of California where he grew up and the different animals that he chased. And it was always such a awesome feeling to think, you know, he did this with the bow. So about 15, 16, I bought my first bow and it was a bare recurve, 45 pound takedown composite. It was this new finagled creature. It was nothing like the traditional world thinks about. And for the next 10 years, I chased deer emphatically on a little coastal island where I lived and had no success whatsoever. It might have been 10 years. I'm exaggerating, actually. My first bow kill came at 20. So it was five years. I didn't get a big deer until 10 years later. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So flash flash forward it. I'm 20 years old. I'm in college. And my father is out hanging sets about three years before, three years, three days before the season opened. And I get a phone call while I'm at work and I answered the phone and mom called and she's crying and dad had not worn his safety harness and had fallen from the tree. You know, we had put in so much time. I had been scouting this one spot so hard i mean just all summer long and i had found some persimmon trees which if you knew this this coastal island there was no food no habitat there and to find persimmons and then to see the amount of persimmons it was putting off i just knew this was going to be a hot early season spot i could get in there before all the other gun hunters because it was a club it was 1800 acre uh club with a i don't know 10 15 total hunters so naturally, this effect on me is my mom doesn't want me to deer hunt. I don't feel up to deer hunting. My granny is about to lose her mind that, you know, I would even think about climbing into a tree, you know, after dad's fallen. And about, I think I miss opening weekend and I'm, I'm doing my schoolwork with dad in the hospital. And he comes to and he says, hey, did you did you go hunting? I was like, no, obviously I didn't go hunting, you know, but it's okay. You know, there's always next season. I'm going to stay here with you. And he said, no, you know, ignore your mom, ignore your granny. <clears throat> that was typical dad fashion there. And he said, you know, go go hunt. Don't, you know, I, I'm going to miss the season because of my stupid choices. You shouldn't miss the entirety of your season. And I told mom my intention. She lost her mind. And I went back there with the bow uh, the following weekend, and it was raining, and it was hotter than all get out. I mean, Jesus, it was hot. In southeast Georgia, it's not uncommon to be hunting in 90-degree weather. 90-degree weather, and if it rains, the steam and humidity afterwards. it's even worse. It it won't happen. I'm not going out there. Yeah, yeah. So... I didn't go that morning because it was raining. That afternoon I go, and it's hot. I walk all the way in there. I climb up the tree that I was just just right under these persimmons. I knew these deer were going to be right in front of me, and I had a big, big, thick, wet swamp behind me, and I knew those deer were going to be using the trail in front of me, and and the wind was right and everything. 
And I get to the stand, and it just starts pouring again. It's not even supposed to be raining. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to pack this up. I'm going home. This is ridiculous. I need to be go hanging out with my dad. And about the time I have that thought, the rain literally just shuts off. I'm thinking, okay, you're wet. You're already here. Let's sit. And off to the left, a deer. I don't know why. I don't know if I moved or what, but I was in a... Uh, oak tree with vines all around it and I had cut enough of those vi- those greenbrier vines out to hang the set itself it was the perfect concealment because there was no human outline there at all and to the left this big deer I never saw it's, if it was a buck or a doe but the body was huge and for the coast I makes me confident it was a buck I don't know what caliber he blows off and just takes off I'm thinking oh my god I was here I was so close obviously I moved and I blew this hunt. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, what do I need to do? I'm going to grunt. You watch Field and Stream. If you grunt, maybe the buck comes back. And I grunt two or three times. And it's and, 90 degrees outside when yeah, he does this now. <laughs> in September, not exactly the, the time of year that you're expecting a nice, you know, grunt response, you know. Uh, keep in mind that the rut there is in October. So it's not that outlandish that you get a response. But I just did these little social grunts. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm 20 years old. And I look to my left, and here comes a deer. It comes walking right to the stand and turns in the only shooting lane I have, broadside at 13 yards. And I had this PSC at the time, PSC Stinger 3G. It was a 70 pounds raw, and I was way overweighted for this bow. I mean, like, it, I could barely draw this bow. And I managed somehow to get it back, and I launch an arrow. I hear for the first time with the bow this, like, guttural thwack of knowing you hit the vitals. You always hear about it, you read about it, but until you experience it, you don't know. And I knew I was good. The deer runs off. I'm holding my breath, and I can hear him crash. I called a family friend, Mr. Fred, and he came out to help me. So, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, freaking out, and we're trying to find this deer, and he had leaped up over. We found the blood trail. We're going all the way. We're getting close. We're getting close. The blood's just getting worse and worse, and or better and better, rather. Uh, there's more and more blood. And the, there's a fire break, a perfectly straight north-south fire break, and we come on this thing going west, and the blood stops. Just done. So we go to the right, there's no blood. We go to the left, there's no blood. We back up, we find blood, we walk it all the way up. Boom, pile of blood, no deer. So we spend about two hours just like on our hands and knees looking for blood going in north and south direction. And I said, I wonder if that crash that I heard was him just going right into those bushes. I wonder if he ran smack into those bushes, right, bam, right there. So we go back to where the pool of blood was, and he had leaped into a dead oak tree that had fallen over. And he was all tangled down in there, and all you could see was his butt and the tail. So we pull him out, and as I'm pulling him out, the deer lands on me, and I'm on my butt, and I got the butt of the deer in my lap, and I'm trying to get out from under this thing. And Mr. Fred goes, you shot a six-point. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. Um, turned out to be a really, really, really young deer. I mean, this thing didn't even have all of its molars in the back. Had three points on each side. One side was all that matters. And I'll never forget how painful it was to hear, to have that success. And after five years of being bow only, not having your father there. 
And I remember all of it just detail for detail. And I remember calling him and he was doped up. I mean, he's like a week out, you know, he's talking about surgery and stuff and calling him and he starts crying. He's like, I knew you were going to get one. I knew you were going to get one. And he starts talking to my mom who's not there and say, I told you, Joni, it was okay for him to go and he's fine. And so I called my mom and she's like, and she goes, well, I hope you're happy. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, a little bit, you know, you, you're not happy, but, but you know, I'm, late, I'm yeah. falling apart right here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm crying. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, son. I was like, I know. I wish dad was here. He says, you'll be happy. Just bring the head in. But uh took it into him and uh, yeah, so that's uh, the first story I wanted to share. It was kind of a unique experience that didn't go as planned as planned uh, but you know I never I'll never forget that deer and that was that was a few years ago now that was a few yeah, years ago seven now. years yeah, five se- years seven, seven years. years yeah seven oh years God. Or, or was seven. it ten years? Oh, um, it's gonna be close here. You know? Don't blink, <laughs> don't blink. But yeah, so that that story, you know, I I remember the deer vividly. But to me, what made that so memorable was the story behind it. Yeah, what happened? It's a cool story. I think mine actually happened this year in 2017. Um, from my background, is I've had uh, four knee surgeries, three bone transplants, and my leg broken all in the same leg. And this has all happened in five years. And I'm not but 23. So uh, this started when I was 17. <laughs> he sounds like a 67-year-old man when he cites those things off, but the poor fella's in his prime right now. Um, But this year, turkey season, 2017, the best hunt. And this these photos are on Instagram. Right. And um, it was actually this week, Walt. Which one? You dead? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just a couple uh, days ago, actually, like three yeah, days ago. Three or four days ago. Um, told my old man Monday night, I said, hey, uh, you want to go hunting? And he's like, eh. I said, come on. He never goes turkey hunting, ever. He won't do it. He hates it. <laughs> it's because of one thing. It's called a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> Something you and I are infinitely familiar yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. So I go in the house and I make sure he's got all the right stuff. Got his 10 gauge out with his three and a half inch number six turkey loads and his call. And I told him, I said, you can just leave the call here. You don't need it. <laughs> I said, what clothes are you wearing? Okay, hold on. Pause just for a second. This is important. Harvey does not like other people calling his turkeys. That is something that we will go into detail. But leave your calls at home because he does not trust you. <laughs> Yeah, there's only one. Per- there's only a couple people that I'll let call with me. There's only a couple people that I that I like that I like letting to call with me, and that's that's probably my hunting one of my hunting buddies, Bert, and occasionally. Bert's a slayer. Occasionally, I'll let Walt touch a call, but most of the time, I kind of I shoot him out of his hands if he pulls them out. Mm-hmm. Um, Go ahead, proceed. So but anyway, you to leave the call at home. The the clothes that he had pulled out, and this is how he turkey hunts, because he just he. I don't know. I just, I don't know. He pulls out deer hunting gloves, a Drake jacket, and Arctic Shield bibs. Now, granted, it's 60 degrees at 7.15 in the morning. You hadn't told me that. And um, the hunting mask that he brings out is is wool. It's wool. Like, it, we should be in Canada hunting turkeys. But we're in South Georgia. 
And um, like I said, it's 61, <laughs> 62 degrees at 715 on April 1st. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, but anyway, so we go and we go hunting and I roosted some birds and I was like, well, I don't trust my gut. So I, I changed up last minute and we started on our, our lease across the road and we looked for birds for 58 minutes and never heard a gobble after daylight. And at this point, I'm getting frustrated. And he knows I'm getting frustrated. He just didn't say anything. So we ride around, ride around. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the one spot where I can almost bet money there's turkeys. So we go down in there, and I yelp a couple times. And I don't know, 2,000 yards away, these gobblers just rattle off. And I'm like, there's no way they heard me. Like, that. And not, that's not going to happen. So I walk down in there 100 yards, and... They gobble again, and I'm like, nah, still no. And Dad's like, ah, no, you can't bring them across. You're not, nah, uh-uh. Challenge uh, accepted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I walked down in there 300 yards. I said, you stay on the road. I said, I'll be back. I yelp at them, and they're at about 1,500 yards. And I said, maybe they're coming. I told him I drug him down in there, drug him in. Now, this is river bottom, South Georgia, water standing everywhere, hogs all down in there. Um mosquito heaven if if you want to mm-hmm. be completely honest it, it, it is it's horrible yep. um never got bit one time so that was that was interesting but anyway the turkeys were somewhat closer but he we sat down by a tree and he's like you can't get them across the river and i'm like probably not honestly <laughs> i'm like <laughs> well that's all you read is you can't get you a turkey can't get a turkey water. across right. water right um granted i've i've this is the second time you've done that, isn't yeah, it? I've yeah, I've proven the stuff you read in books wrong. They are general more than guidelines. Once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in more ways than once. Right. Um. But not saying it's not true, but it, it can be done. But uh. So I pull, keep calling these birds, and they just they keep hammering. They keep hammering. They get about 150 yards, and I said, okay, they're coming. But I think they're going to hang up on the water before they ever get to me. And Dad's sitting over there, and he's shaking his head, and I'm like, I don't know. So then I'm like, hmm, what do I need to do now? 150 yards out. They kind of sound like they're hung up. And then I pulled, went back to the playbook and I said, oh, yeah, Bert taught me this little trick. <laughs> so I literally lay my gun beside me, put my call <laughs> on the ground, and I start doing snow angels in the leaves. Y'all are going to think I'm yeah. crazy. Dad turned around and looked at me and said, what in the are you doing? <laughs> And I said, just watch. <laughs> I could just see your dad looking at you like, this kid told, can drug me all the way down here in this bottom, and he's play, rolling around in the leaves. So anyway, while I'm rolling around in the leaves, I'm calling. And then he, then it hits him. There's three or four hens down in here mm-hmm. scratching and feeding. Right. Those gobblers, I seen them pitch the river, and they didn't. they never gobbled when they come across the river but they came in on a string he ended up killing his first double 10 and a quarter inch beard one and a quarter inch spurs 10 inch bird with one inch spurs he shot the big bird at seven steps he shot (laughs) the little little bit smaller bird not really a small bird by any means right at eight steps (laughs) so that was your dad's first double that was his first double Technically, it wasn't a true double because he didn't kill him with one shot. But in my mind, that's the first time uh, yeah. you've ever killed two turkeys in front I was about of you. To say, it, it doesn't matter. Definitions are different. But one thing that I did leave out that it, that is it's funny 
he was facing the wrong direction on this big oak tree. I'm talking like a six-foot oak tree. So all of a sudden, when these turkeys get behind, quote-unquote, he said he waited that they got behind a palmetto. I see this barrel come wrapping around the tree <laughs> with a turkey at six steps. And I'm like, is he going to shoot? Because that turkey's fixing to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, it, it was funny watching a barrel shaking granite shaking in midair trying to get on this turkey it sticks six steps 10 gauge right 10 gauge yeah let me let's just say the first turkey didn't move when he hit him <laughs> second turkey flopped a little but the first one just, just lights stopped. out so done so that's probably my most memorable honestly story to this point and the most right. one of the one of the maybe not the most fun but it was it was the most touching almost right experience i've ever had in the woods because it was with him and it was a lot of work and it was it just it made it worth it and granted like i said this is after this is three and a half months after my third knee transplant right. so just being out there is a blessing and then to, to being able to even walk that, in right. those being able to even walk through yeah. the mud is is probably shouldn't be but being able to just walk Absolutely. is a miracle honestly um but that's my story and i'm sticking to it that, that's you're gonna hear a lot more of that a lot of more stories we're gonna get into strategy and some other things and there'll be a variety of things discussed here deer duck turkey probably the biggest emphasis will be deer in, in turkey uh duck there's not a whole lot we can do down here to prepare so probably about october november you'll hear us start to break out the double reeds and uh, knock the dust off our waders but, or just uh, shooting wood duck holes or just shooting there. wood duck holes yeah, yeah. so but a little bit of fishing yeah, a little bit of fishing. We we get Harvey does a saltwater fishing. I I join him from time to, to time. Yeah, fishing. yeah. So, but thank you for joining us for the first episode. If you like what you heard, please, if you found us on Podbean or iTunes, please go and give us a rating and let give us some feedback that we can work with to make your experience better. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Chasing Tales Outdoors is the handle for both. Y'all have a good day. Talk Appreciate to you soon. miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment brave anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv